As the head of data and insights at Splunk, Archana Ganapathy is responsible for accelerating data-driven outcomes for customers. On this special episode of IT Visionaries, hosted by Mission CEO Chad Grills, Archana explains what that process looks like and how Splunk's focus on solving customer problems has led to personal and professional success. This podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Did you know that Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience. Archana, welcome to the show. Thank you. So you just mentioned you were a Palo Alto resident? Yes, I grew up here. Okay, cool. And you, you're actually right down the street right now. So more or less. Yep. Cool. Where, uh, where did you grow up? Uh, same, you know, was it East side? Was it? So uh, I actually went to Palo Alto high school, uh, graduated, uh, a while ago now. Right. And, but not that long ago. So your background's really interesting. I would love to get into it a bit more. Um, where did you start your career and where did the passion for technology start? Maybe that was well before the career. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I think growing up in the Bay Area, you're always surrounded by high tech and all the momentum in the industry. So you always hear the buzz. And of course, it kind of fueled my interest that, you know, we had uh, family members who were in the tech industry. So plenty of role models to learn from and try to emulate. So from your family, who was actively involved in tech and uh, when, you know, did were you aware of what they actually did for a living? Yeah, so my dad actually taught computer science at Stanford for oh, several decades. So yeah. uh, I think from very early on, uh, since I was a toddler, I was exposed to computers and fascinated and curious about how they work. So growing up, it was always a thing that that you know I would keep wanting to learn more, and uh, you know I, there was no shortage of knowledge to pick up from at home. Were there any lessons that your father maybe repeated or that he was like very uh, adamant about teaching or explaining? Um, So I think uh, the the life lesson, if you will, is that hard work um, and persistence is very important, regardless of what you pursue. Doesn't have to be tech or computer science, but whatever you pursue, give it your all and put in as much as you can and are willing to and you'll get as much out of it. Sure. And um, what about on your mother's side? What did she do and um, what did you learn from her growing up? Yeah, she was the solid support structure for our family, moral support all around. Um, She did pursue a career after marriage and after she had kids. So it was really amazing to see her juggle kind of the home front and a professional career and grow along with us in many ways. Very cool. So your first was your first job at Hewlett Packard Enterprise Java Labs, or was that? Yeah, yeah, okay. that was actually an internship uh, straight out of high school. Oh, very cool. So yeah. not exactly easy to land that type of internship straight out of high school. How did you manage that, and what was the preparation like, and when did you find out about the opportunity? Right. So um, we had some friends that worked at HP, and they mentioned that you know if I was interested in computer science for college, which I very much was when I was in high school. And I'd taken AP computer science and all the preparatory uh, coursework. And they said, hey, you know, we just started this new high school internship program and, you know, you should totally give it a shot. So I interviewed and it worked out and it was 
definitely a turning point in kind of pushing to the next level in my career. Sure. And um, during that internship, I'm always curious, um, you know, when I first got into my early jobs and things like that, it was evidently clear, you know, how little I knew, right? When you start comparing yourself to yes. other executives or people that have been there for 20 years. Yep. Um, what was that moment like for you where you realized, wow, there's so much I don't know, or there's so much I want to know and yeah. I can learn it from these people? Absolutely. Um, for me, it was kind of a, wow, there's just so much I can learn from so many people. And actually that internship, um, I started out writing some regression tests for their enterprise test suite. And very quickly, I was like, no, I want to do more than this and teach me more. And I hadn't even taken kind of, you know, the next level of architecture classes or anything. But the folks there at HP Labs were amazing. And uh, they took it on themselves to actually educate me and kind of give me that foundational computer science education during the summer. And it was just, you know, for me, this is more than I can dream of. I get this personal mentoring that I wouldn't get anywhere else. And did you do that internship? Did you stay there? And um, what was the next jump after that? Yeah, I went back the following summer. So after freshman year in college, um, I went back for another summer and uh, continued with the same team, learned more, contributed more. And uh, after that, uh, started expanding my horizons with other internships. Stanford Linear Accelerator Center. Yep, Slack was yeah. one of them. Um, yeah, which and is, then, again, super well known. Um, but for anyone that out there that doesn't know what they do, um, how would you describe that? Uh, so Slack is a physics research center. And there, my role was to actually provide the computing infrastructure and help them with some of their testing environments and um, how they aggregate and process their data from their experiments, right? So it was very different from a traditional high-tech company, but also gave me an opportunity to kind of see a different perspective on how computer science is applied in the real world. Sure. And I'd be curious to know, were there any overarching goals of the uh, team that you were working with? You know, was everybody passionate about paving the way for quantum computing or, you know, what was really motivating was it just the pure, you know, joy of getting to do physics and math and kind of geeking out about that? Or, you know, do you think that there was any other uh, anything else going on? Yeah, most of them were pretty much geeking out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they were more sort of kind of computing and infrastructure for the actual experimental physicists. Gotcha. So, yeah, pretty so much straight up geeks. Paving the way and allowing the physicists to yep. do more of what they do. Absolutely. And scaling cool. it up. Very cool. So. Uh, the next jump, um, checking out your background, your career was to Microsoft. So uh, again, you know, another big company. Um, is there anything you can point to that helped you land, you know, one very, very fascinating R&D type role after another? Was it just hard work or was it, uh, you know, how'd you land the opportunity at Microsoft? So with Microsoft, um, basically when I was an undergrad at Berkeley, very early on, I got engaged with research there with some of the faculty. And this was specifically a project that we were doing on recovery-oriented computing. So trying to understand the cause of failures in internet services and other computer systems and trying to understand, you know, in the real world, what is it that goes wrong and how can we actually do the right kind of research to prevent it? So in that process, our research um, lab actually ran biannual retreats where they would invite a bunch of folks from industry to kind of validate or guide us on what to work on and make sure it's calibrated to reality in the real world and uh, 
make sure we work on high impact problems for the industry. So that's how I um, actually crossed paths with some of the researchers at Microsoft. And um, it was kind of an organic uh, development to pursue an internship, you know, go on site, help them understand and look at some of their own systems and behaviors there, characterize it. And the rest was history. Sure. And uh, at Berkeley at the time, um, were there any big trends or uh, were there any wild ideas in computer science that you found especially appealing? Yeah, I think, I mean, at the time, this was kind of my first exposure to research uh, firsthand, right? And um, the thing that fascinated me at that point was the faculty I was working with, they cared a lot about not just theoretical problems, but solving practical problems in the real world. So that was one way that, you know, the the philosophy to always stay grounded in reality was important. But in terms of uh, trends that I saw on the horizon, definitely looking to data, being very data driven about what we pursue and how we prioritize and uh, where we shift our focus. That was something that I think for me was pretty um, it's it's intuitive in some ways, but it was also that aha moment for pursuing the rest of my research career. Sure. And were there any mentors, individuals, books, research papers that you remember from the time that you just you know remember going over or interacting with and saying like, wow, there's something exciting here? Absolutely. Um, I would be remiss not to mention my advisor, Dave Patterson, who I worked with since I joined Berkeley, pretty much. He encouraged me to get involved in research early on, even as an undergrad, and kind of mentored me throughout, um, all the way through grad school and my PhD. So um, yeah, I, I definitely attribute quite a bit of my career trajectory to him and his guidance. Are there any examples of maybe recommendations or counsel that he presented or helped you out with? Yeah, and a lot of it was actually um, the people side of things. He said, you know, when you pick classes, there's topics you'll be interested in, but always go with the, the faculty that have good reviews and good ratings from other students. And you will actually come out with a different perspective on things and probably be far more excited about the topic than you could have ever imagined. So that's true even in um, industry. I feel, you know, it's really the draw to the people and how well they engage and how excited they are and motivated they are that actually makes or breaks how committed we are to working on things. Definitely. That's a yeah, a great mental model for any, any type of decision making around people. Um, so I'm curious after that, uh, you're at Splunk now. If we fast forward, you're head of data and insights at Splunk. You've been there for over nine years, which is uh, a rarity. And like so it's something to be celebrated <laughs> in the Valley, though, right? Because I think in the Valley, we get caught up in everybody's moving. You know, they're here one, for 18 months. They're at the new place next, you know, the next 18 months. And if you're constantly changing positions, it's very hard to accomplish anything that's long term oriented or get much done. Um, so I'm curious, you know, how did you find the opportunity at Splunk? Uh, what excited you about it? And then you don't have to take us through the whole nine years, but I'd be curious if you could <laughs> condense it. Um, you know, what's that journey been like? Right. Um, to be honest, when I was uh, wrapping up my PhD program, I was looking at the industry labs and, and larger companies. Um, and Splunk just happened to cross my radar because some of my predecessors from Berkeley and uh, folks that I knew from Stanford were actually at Splunk. And they just reached out. They were like, hey, you know, your dissertation seems relevant and interesting to us. Just come talk to us about it. 
Um, so I went over and, you know, they were a late stage startup at the time, less than 200 people. And they were highly motivated, very smart people working on very interesting problems. And at that point for me, you know, the decision was, well, you know, I can take a chance. Um, this is the right time in my life to take that chance with a startup and, and see how things go and do something different from what I'd ever planned for. So then the rest was history. I, you know, grew with the company and uh, moved around, wore many different hats and um, have loved the fact that I could kind of plot my own path at the company for what I work on and uh, choose what next uh, to solve for. You mentioned that it was different from what you planned. Uh, I think that's a fascinating point to kind of dig deeper on. So what did you have, you know, what ideas did you have in your head and how, you know, they, they don't always match up to reality, but yeah. I, I think that's, uh, you know, part of the arts of life is figuring out, you know, what to embrace and what to, you know, leave behind. So, you know, what, what idea did you have in your head? What was the game plan and how has that adjusted over the years as you've, you know, become a technology executive and those things? Right. Um, I think straight out of grad school, I was still very much in kind of a researchy mindset, right? Work on impactful problems, but open-ended kind of longer term timelines and write papers and, you know, conference, uh, submit to conferences and present there about the cool ideas. Sure. Um, and I think with Splunk, it was very much kind of solve customer pain points first and then innovation organically happens right it's not something we sit kind of you know thinking through uh doing a gedanken experiment on you know the art of the possible and work backwards we actually have real problems real pain points to to overcome and, and solve for to lift barriers for our customers and that is gratifying in its own way at uh, so many levels did you find it to be more gratifying than just, you know, a focus on research or um, I'm curious what the difference is there and, and how you kind of like separate the two, right? Because any great business needs the right amount of research, but also the right amount of daily actions and practicality. So, yeah, what, how, how do we find that balance there? Um, I think to each their own. Uh, sure. For me, I think uh, there's some element of both, right? I, I want to solve problems for the now, but also do it in a way that that it lasts. Uh, the test of time. And um, we can actually do a nice resilient solution that is um, both long-term and short-term viable, right? So that's where kind of I strike the balance between research and uh, real-world customer-facing. And I like that you use the word resilient because the one commonality after talking with many execs um, at Splunk is that many of them are focused on you know, creating resilient systems and products and processes that are going to last a long time. And I think the way that you do that now in this society is through ethics and thinking about values and culture and things like that. So how do you think about that on your team? You know, how do you instill values that are going to create a resilient culture and a resilient product? That's a really good question. The main value that I try to instill really by leading by example is to always be open minded and willing to learn. Um, regardless of the environment you're in or the problem you're trying to solve, I think the attitude to always be willing to take input and listening to different perspectives, listening to your data, that open-mindedness is really crucial for making sure that, that we come to a good outcome with all perspectives considered, 
um, account for any biases that you may have, either unconscious bias or, or, you know, biases in the data that you have available to you. So just be open-minded and, and have that attitude to always be willing to learn new things. Definitely. And I think we all need to be willing to learn new things because the volume of data that we're generating, that companies are generating, it's all exploding right now. Absolutely. And uh, Splunk recently re- released the dark data report. So that shows about 54% of data is generally dark or unusable by enterprises or individuals for that matter. So how are you thinking about dark data and what's the uh, what's that landscape like? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that a lot of um, value in the data is still undiscovered and unexplored. And for me, a lot of that is we have to, you know, start anchoring our exploration in real pain points and questions that we have. And as part of that exploration, start digressing a little bit into the unknown and ask, you know, what else can I learn? What else can I correlate with? What more might be there that I'm not thinking through? So asking more questions and kind of, um, Pursuing uncharted territory, not just look at the traditional data sets that you have in front of you that are maybe curated for you, but, you know, poke around and and see what else is available. And do you think that developing skills in lateral areas or, you know, many areas is valuable here? And, you know, we've heard that there's truisms or cliches like you don't want to be a jack of all trades and things (laughs) like that. But is that helpful here? Um, Getting a top, you know. I guess, uh, a high level knowledge of an industry or many industries, is that helpful in dealing with data? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, having depth is very important. So, you know, for a specific question, go as deep as you can to get to the bottom um, to find the right answers or to find resilient, good enough answers. But to figure out what else you actually have to, you know, look a little to the side and, you know, talk to folks in lateral areas and, try to understand their perspectives on the problem or the question at hand and see, you know, how that may be accounted for in various other data sources. What more do they know, either domain knowledge or firsthand boots on the ground knowledge from customers? Get all those perspectives and see, you know, how if that even leads to a different outcome or conclusion. And this is where, you know, listen to more more perspectives and be willing to learn what else people might be thinking. Sure. And I'd be curious to know too, when people on your team are interested in getting advice on, you know, how they can channel maybe their learning efforts, um, what type of advice do you traditionally provide or what's your kind of go-to challenge for young team members that are clearly passionate, they're smart, they want to learn? Um, how do you usually recommend that or what type of advice do you usually provide? Yeah. Um, don't be afraid. Talk to a lot of people, get as much input as you can, but, you know, try to channel that into something that you can own and, you know, turn it into your own project, passion project or otherwise that you can pursue and uh, get, you know, all the mentorship that is available to you. Reach out to folks that that you think might be able to guide you on the path that you're traversing and uh, the space is entirely yours to claim. So when you're going about learning new things or learning in an area that's completely outside your comfort zone, it's obviously not pleasant. It's, uh, you know, you're just continually made aware of how ignorant you are in that specific field or skill. Um, How do you go about dealing with that process when you're in a new field that's outside of your comfort zone? You want to explore it, um, whether it's in the arts or whether it's in, you know, a business field. Um, Is there a story you could share maybe about how you got through the initial phase of 
wow, I'm aware of how much I don't know. And then maybe you get to expert status or, you know, good enough to talk about it. So any stories there? Yeah, absolutely. So when I joined Splunk, originally I was in um, the products org. And then for a few years in the middle, I actually moved to the field. And this is where kind of it was completely new for me. I, you know, had an entirely technical background, not been customer facing at all. Um, and it was a different model um, with how you engage. And there was much more formal process and kind of a, a chain of command to follow to engage, right? So my approach to that was, you know, have the right mentorship in my immediate manager and the rest of the team and not hesitate to ask questions, right? Sure. So there's, there's no wrong question to ask or no bad question. Sure. And when it comes to making data-driven decisions, I think all of us want to use the scientific method, but we also are aware that intuition or trusting our gut, there's something else there that can help once we get all the data available, right? So how do you think about trusting your gut or using intuition after you've exhausted the scientific method? So I would say, you know, it's not necessarily after. Um, personally, sure. I think you, you, you form a gut instinct before you even go down a particular path so to start explore with the hunch. data, yeah. right? You start with a hunch, a hypothesis of sorts, and then the key is to really be open-minded in when you look at the data and not look for confirmation of your gut, but you know try to play devil's advocate and look for alternate evidence, or you know kind of be as open-minded as possible when you look into the data and say you know what if this, what if that, what am I missing? Gather all that input and then take your final decision. Right. So sure. trust your gut, but try to validate it with data Along the or way. or learn from the data and uh you know it, it may tell you something different and sure. uh try to understand why at that point are there any hypotheses now that you're developing or maybe you've had for a while that you could share about data at large they don't need to be revolutionary you know new scientific concepts they could be very small um whether it's an insight onto collection or whether it's an insight from uh, a customer that you've talked to recently uh, are there any hypotheses you're nurturing right now? Yeah, so I think for me, um, I spend a lot of time thinking about how people do data analysis. And it's kind of, you know, closing the feedback loop with our product in many ways, because Splunk is a platform that people use to collect and analyze their own data. And so trying to analyze kind of how they do that, it's called almost meta in some ways, right? So um, I think initially, I had this assumption that, you know, people were more hands on, you know, exploring and kind of digging for insights proactively all the time. But I think the more and more I, I look into the data and talk to our customers, I realize, you know, there's a lot of value in having those curated insights and kind of push analysis up the stack sure. without people having to do their own data munging and, and dirty work. Right. Right. So you're kind of hoping for a future where the analysis can be pushed up based on maybe signals, internal right. signals from the company or. Yep. Sure. And, and I think a lot of it is, you know, there are many different profiles of people, personas, if you will, that engage with our product and not all of them use our product or engage with it in the same way. So thinking through a way that we can customize their experience and get them 
higher value quicker um, from looking at data using Splunk, that, sure. that would be a great outcome for us. And when it comes to making sure that, you know, you have a culture where data is, in, you know, something that people love and not fear, um, you know, it can be exhausting dealing with data sometimes, right? So how do you go about uh, striking that balance between being data driven, but also embracing hunches, intuitions, and people that have new ideas that can be radical sometimes? Right. And I think it's a very good question. And I think this is kind of a perpetual struggle that many tech companies undergo. Um, data is great, but we have to encourage people to try new things and experiment without having to spend all their time looking for confirmation or, or validation from the data. Right. right. So I think that the balance there is, you know, have the, the data teams and that, that proactively look for insights and kind of tag team with product owners to say, hey, you know, this is what we think this might be telling us. What do you think? And kind of support them. So it's ultimately the product owners that have to formulate and execute on those ideas. And we're kind of supporting them with whatever nuggets of information and insights that we can come up with. Sure. So are there any academics or influencers in the data space at large that you're following that are outside of Splunk? Certainly. Um, I still closely follow a lot of the research going on at Berkeley just because of uh, my ties there. And certainly being in the Bay Area close, you know, stone's throw away from Stanford, plenty of exciting data research going on um, over there as well. And the usual... Uh, usual suspects around uh, the big data conferences that that usually has a good uh, mix of representation from academia and industry. Sure. And so many people are excited about machine learning, neural nets, deep learning, uh, all those topics. However, it doesn't matter how good your models are or how good your software is if you're starting with the wrong data sets or the wrong variables. So you were basically advocating for the importance of the correct data sets or better data sets? What, what was your argument there? Absolutely. For me, I think it goes back to um, your analysis is only as good as the data that you feed to your models and uh, collecting good quality data and accounting for biases or bad quality data is just as important, if not more, than what technique you use to analyze the data. Sure. So that might be the proverbial hunch that we start with before we start to get into the scientific method at large or... Right. Proverbial sure. hunch and also kind of framing the question first, right? To say, start with the right question. here's the question that I'm trying to answer and then back into the data to say, what is the right appropriate source of data that is realistic, representative, and the right granularity for the decision that I'm trying to make. Right. So, for example, if I want to provide insights at a five-minute interval or be closer to real time, data that is aggregated on an hourly basis is not granular enough, right? Sure. So kind of massaging the data collection to meet the decision granularity and the decision framework and quality that you are trying to strive for is just as important as the, the technique that you choose. Very cool. I'm curious too, you've got to see Silicon Valley and the Bay Area evolve over uh, you know, a, a decent amount of time. 
what excites you about the future for the Bay Area? And is there anything that's uh, troublesome or worry that worries you? I think what excites me is the continued innovation and growth. Um, the momentum has not stopped by any means. And uh, I don't see it stopping anytime in the future. So I'm looking to see what the next decade has in store for us. Same here. And um, when it comes to your team at Splunk, are there any key roles you're hiring for that uh, you're excited about? Or are there any, um, whether they're open now or they're going to be open in the future, let us know. Absolutely. We're always looking for uh, highly motivated data people. Sure. Whether they're analysts, engineers, you know, insert your favorite term at the end, but someone who's excited and, and willing to be data driven and learn about all things data. Sure. And are there any team members uh, now that you can give a shout out to that have done something maybe incredible over the last, uh, let's call it, you know, year or quarter, maybe? Yeah, the entire team is amazing. Um, go data and insights. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. And when it comes to the future of Splunk, what are you most excited about or passionate about when you see the suite of products evolving? Is there a general theme? Is there uh, one particular one you're, you know, you're bullish on, you're excited about? For me, it, it comes back to uh, extracting value from your data and anything and everything we build towards that cause is amazing. So faster, snappier, better workflows, you know. Um, Spin the flywheel of exactly. data. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Very cool. Um, is there any advice you have for someone who's listening that wants to develop technical skills? Um, maybe they don't want to pursue a PhD. Uh, maybe they feel that there's a quicker entry point for them now that didn't exist before. Uh, any advice you have for them to break into a technical data science field or something like that? Absolutely. I think there's plenty of tools out there more so than there were, you know, over a decade ago. Um, lots of open source technology and lots of tutorials and um, online coursework that give you a leg up on ramping up very quickly so you can get all the context and background much faster just by putting in the time and effort to find these tools. Sure. And any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? It could be a call to action. It could be a story um, or it could just be a general piece of advice to make it in the Bay Area. Listen to the data. Listen to your data, all the data around you. I love it. Archana, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks again to our friends at Salesforce. Did you know Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience.